Now we come to the reading. There we go. Now we come to the reading of God's Word. Please turn with me in your Bibles, or please look up at the screen as we read together Psalm 100. This is the Word of the Lord. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us. We are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. For the Lord is good and His steadfast love endures forever and His faithfulness to all generations. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, Holy and Almighty God, please open our hearts and our minds that we may understand your word and we may apply it to our lives. Let us see your goodness and your greatness and our need of your unending, your unceasing grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It is November 22nd, but in many ways it is felt, feels like we have lived many lifetimes in just these last 11 months, hasn't it? From personal triumphs to devastating losses. Leslie and I, we were watching television a couple nights ago, and one of two commercials kept showing up again and again and again and again and again. And these commercials, they kept saying, it has not been a normal year. And it will not be an ordinary Thanksgiving. So we should all just play it safe. They were right. It has not been an ordinary year on a global scale. 2020, it started out with a fear of nuclear attack. Massive fires in Australia. And then massive fires in California. Then the start of the ongoing coronavirus pandemic. Murder hornets, meth alligators, riots and civil unrest, political mudslinging, a nation-dividing election, just to name a few things. Now, 2020, it has not been normal. And with new executive orders, these guidelines, the, the commercials are right. This should not be an ordinary, run-of-the-mill Thanksgiving as we have come to know them for years on end. But at the same time, we should not treat Thanksgiving, this holiday, like the multinational corporations want us to do so. No, instead, this should be an extraordinary Thanksgiving. By having a Thanksgiving holiday which brings us back to the original meaning of the word. The Hebrew word which we translate as thanksgiving technically means to proclaim or to declare. To proclaim who God is by praising who He is and thanking Him for what He has done as an act of worship. This psalm which we read just a few moments ago, Psalm 100, it has a title or an inscription to it, which not all psalms have. And most of these titles, they usually tell us what the intended purpose or the usage is, or maybe who wrote the psalm. The title of our passage, the title of our psalm this morning is A Psalm of Thanksgiving. 
And this, this psalm, it's been traditionally sung around the holiday of Thanksgiving, specifically by psalm-singing churches to bring us back to a proper understanding of what Thanksgiving is. Not just the holiday, but the actual act of Thanksgiving, which all has to do with the worship of God. And Psalm 100, we see that it, it commands us to worship God. It commands us five things, or four things. By making a joyful noise, by serving the Lord, by knowing the Lord, and by worshiping the Lord together. Let's look at the first verse of Psalm 100. It says this, Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. The first verse of this psalm, it's short, but it is a descriptive command, a command which instructs people to give thanksgiving to the Lord. Or in other words, to proclaim the Lord by worshiping Him with a joyful noise. Now let's break this command down a little bit. We can see from the first word that this verse is a command. There's no doubt about it. It is very straightforwardly says, make a joyful noise. Not try, or if you have time to do so, or if you're in the mood, but to do so, to make, or in other translations, to sing a joyful noise to the Lord. Now, a joyful noise that's supposed to be made to the Lord, it's supposed to be made to Him. For He is the one who created us. He is the one who created everything. He is the one who we see in Scripture is sovereign over all, as we were studying a few weeks ago, who provides comfort, who provides peace. And this is who we are to make our joyful noise to and about. He is both the subject and the object of our worship. He is the subject and object of our thanksgiving. We also see that this command is for every tribe, tongue, and nation. No one is left out of this command. Now many of us, me included, we are introverted. And we usually get uneasy when it comes to this joyful noise business. For psalms are filled with this type of singing. And honestly, it makes some of us uncomfortable to make a joyful noise that so many people can hear. But to those of you who are like me, who may be a little bit self-conscious about your noise-making ability, the command does not say, make a perfect pitch unto the Lord. Nor does it say that we should make sounds that are so beautiful that everyone else around us applauds. No, what it says is this joyful noise is not to make people happy, but this joyful noise is to be made unto the Lord. He is the audience that we are singing for. He is the focus. Everyone who is introverted or extroverted, tuneless or perfect in pitch, this joyful noise is beautiful unto the Lord. And you can rest in the knowledge that you can be like a preschooler who is singing their heart out at the top of their lungs, trying to remember all the words that they have heard before and making that joyful noise to the Lord. For this is what He commands. 
It is the worship that he commands, not professional singing or the quality of your voice. But here's a question. What happens when you are not joyful yourself? What happens when everything that is going on around you is sad or depressing? Like I said at the beginning, 2000, or 2020, it has been a hard year. Some of us have lost loved ones. Some of us have worried about losing our jobs, our homes, and even our lives. Are we still to be making a joyful noise unto the Lord even when everything around us is falling apart? The answer is yes. We see this here and in other places of Scripture, like we saw last week in Psalm 88. The psalmist in Psalm 88, he was beleaguered, going through pain and sorrow and near death. And he cries out to the Lord in prayer because that's all he knows what he could do. And by going to God in prayer, he is worshiping him. He is making a joyful noise unto the Lord. For worship is not about the joy that we find in it. Worship is is about crying out to God and acknowledging Him as Lord, praising Him for who He is and what He has done, even though at the moment we may not be joyful about it. For instance, in the life of the famed Scottish professor Robert Balmer, when Robert was 10 years old, his father died, leaving behind his wife, Robert, and his children. And the evening after his father's death, Robert got out the hymnals as he did every evening for family worship. And as he was passing by the place where they convened family worship every evening, his mother stopped him. And she asked, why? Why are you doing this today of all days? And Robert turned his head and answered, saying, The God who has taken my father away, he will be a father to us, like he has promised. He will hear our prayers, and we must not go to bed tonight without worshiping him. For he is our God, and we must worship him no matter what. Powerful words from a 10-year-old. This is the attitude that we must have of worship. To worship God even when we do not feel joyful. Worshiping God even when the world around us is falling apart. Robert Balmer, even at a young age, he knew the importance of worship. For the gospel itself is joyful news even if we are not in the mood ourselves. Now, this story that I just shared, it was about worship as a family at a specific or a set time of day. But the next part of Psalm 100, it's not aimed at family worship or it's not aimed at corporate worship as we're doing this morning. No, it is aimed at having a lifestyle of worship. Verse 2 says this, Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. This verse is saying that we must live in such a way that 
each and every moment of every day focuses on worshiping God. It commands us to serve God continually as an act of worship. Meaning not only to follow Him, but to serve Him in a way that He has called you to do so. In a way that He has called you to serve. Now God may have called you to be an engineer. He may have called you to be a homemaker. He may have called you to be a soldier, a bricklayer, a lawyer, or anything in between. God may not have even shown you yet what He has called you to be. But regardless, we are to serve God. To live as an example of Christ in this world. Living as a child of God, worshiping Him with our words, with our actions, and with our thoughts. No matter who you are, you are commanded to serve God. There is no opt-out clause. We should be desiring to serve Him. For if you are a follower of God, He has chosen you. He has called you. He has changed you. He has saved you. And this should fill you with hope. This should fill you with joy and gladness even on the darkest days. And this brings us back to the second part of verse 2. Come into His presence with thanksgiving. Sorry, with, th- with singing. Some of the greatest times I have ever had with my daughters is when we are singing as a family, no matter the type of song. The entire entire library of all singing, basically from Moana to, to, to Frozen. That's about as far as we go. The entire volume. All right. Now, if you do not know me well, my daughters love princess movies, and that's all we watch and all we sing. But the greatest times that we do sing together as a family is not when we're singing a princess song movie. No, it's when we are singing songs that are of thanksgiving. Songs which proclaim who God is and what He has done. These songs usually bring about great conversations about God's works and about His attributes. These songs also create earworms in our brains that get stuck in our head for weeks, months, or even years so that we can meditate on the truths of God's Word day and night. And as we pray to God, our words are bathed in the language of Scripture as well as the truths of God's Word. One of the songs that my daughters have been singing again and again this week was from this year's VBS. It goes like this, Emmanuel came for us, came for us. Emmanuel died for us, died for us. Emmanuel rose for us, rose for us. Emmanuel with us, God with us. A song so simple, yet so deep, bathed in the gospel. If you are not spending time listening and singing along with good God-centric songs, songs that are about who God is and the grace that He has shown us, I encourage you to do so. Now, I'm not a person who usually loves to listen and sing music, especially in public. But when I do sing along to music, or when I listen to it, it focuses my heart. It focuses my mind on the author and perfecter of the faith, Jesus the Lord. 
And usually I do this before I study God's Word. And the Holy Spirit uses it to open up my heart in ways that I cannot even explain. Therefore, I encourage you to sing together as a family at home or as an individual before you have family worship or before you come before God in prayer or as you read God's Word on your own. Singing is truly a powerful act of worship. As we saw at the beginning of the sermon, it does not need to be so melodious and perfect for God is the one who is the audience of it. The third command of this psalm, of Psalm 100, is found in verse 3. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Now this word know, it has two distinct meanings behind it. It means to publicly acknowledge God and to grow in our knowledge of God. To acknowledge God publicly is to live our faith on our shirt sleeve, to borrow the common saying. Or to make faith your faith so visible that in both your words and your actions, there is no question to whether people know you are a follower of God. Now this verse is not saying that you need to stand on the street corner with a sign proclaiming God exists, though there is biblical support for street evangelism. The thrust of this verse is talking about having conversations with others about who God is. That He is the Creator of all things, visible and invisible. He is the one who made everything and everyone. Furthermore, having conversations that focus on who we are to God, that we are His creation and that He is the Creator. That He is the one who sets the laws. He is the one who is the ruler. He is the one who is the judge of all. Having conversations which actually address what it means to be part of God's family. That if you are a follower of Christ, that you are an adoptive son or daughter of God. And that you have the benefits and the responsibilities that He gives. Benefits such as prayer. Coming before your heavenly Father with all kinds of requests and concerns, knowing that your prayers will always be heard and will always be answered, even if it's not in the way that we desire. Benefits such as having God as your shepherd and knowing not only that He provides for you, but that He gives you greater gifts than you could possibly ever imagine, like eternal life with Him forever. A place where there is in heaven where there's free of pain, free of sickness, free of sadness, free of sorrow. We are to proclaim who God is and what He has done in conversations. This is what this verse is commanding. But how do we know what to talk about if we have not grown in our faith? The flip side of this command in verse 3 is that we must grow in our knowledge of God. We must grow in our knowledge of the Lord. Like a child, we don't have all of the knowledge of who God is at the beginning. We don't have all the knowledge of what God has done. We must grow in it like a plant bathed in the light of Scripture. Studying God's Word. This is how we can do it. 
by reading it daily, meditating on it. And by this, I mean thinking about God's word, chewing on it like a cow chews a cud over and over and over, learning about God's word by hearing it preached, by having group studies on God's word, by having fellowship with others, like in care groups, or even by reading books about how to grow in your faith, reading books about who God is, knowing that as we gain knowledge of who God is, the Holy Spirit is working in us, not only to change our thoughts, but to also change our actions, so that we, when we are presented with opportunities to share about who God is, we can do so with confidence about our holy, eternal, and loving God. Now, so far this morning, we have seen in Psalm 100 that it commands us to worship God by singing. We also see that we must serve God and we must know God. And before we looked at how we must have a lifestyle of worship, in addition to all of these commands, we see in verses 4 and 5 that God commands us to worship in community. It says this in verses 4 and 5, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. For the Lord is good and his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. When the Israelites, when they built the temple, there were different gates and courts that you would enter through in order to enter into the sanctuary, the place where they worshipped. This verse is to remind the Israelites as they entered into the sanctuary that they were to do so with thanksgiving, proclaiming God by giving thanks to him by blessing His name. Or in other words, giving thanks to God for what He has done and giving praise to God for who He is. This means that their worship was to be God-focused, focused on Him rather than His people, rather than us. This is where many in the global church have gone astray. We have forgotten that the worship service is all about God. It is all about Him. Not how we feel about Him, but who He is and what He has done. We so easily forget this. And we're not alone either. Back in the Ten Commandments, as we were studying in Sunday school not too many weeks ago, the first commandment said this, You shall have no other gods before me. And then the second is like it. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any of the likeness of anything that is in heaven above or in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I am the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Both the first and the second commandments are talking about worship who we are to worship, and how we are to worship Him. We are to worship God because He commands it. And we are to worship God by what we see in Scripture. For we, as a human race, we have a hard time remembering who our Creator is. 
even when we are a part of His family. Our worship is to be of Him alone, just as our faith is to be in Christ alone. And so far this morning, we have seen that we must worship God and how we are to do so. But I've really danced around the question of content. What are we to praise God for specifically? What are we to thank God for specifically? The reason for this is that the last verse gives us great examples of what we are to proclaim. Not the entirety. Verse 5 is not a set list of only what we are to proclaim, but these are good starting points. Verse 5 shows us this. The Lord is good. This is one of the great attributes of God, that He is good. Now, God's goodness, it can be seen in various categories. God is good in relationship to His creation. For instance, in Sunday school, we've been studying the doctrines, doctrines of grace one of which is radical or total depravity of man. We, we see that God's creation is sinful. That we have no good in us. Without Christ, we only desire to sin. But on the other hand, God is completely good. And our standard of goodness comes from Him. We can only see what is good because of Him. Which is why God gave us the law. Because He is perfect, He is holy, and He is good. So when we come before God, we can praise Him that He is good. That He is the source of good. And that His goodness is the standard. That His goodness is the fundamental way of understanding the blessings and benefits of this life. Praise to the Lord that He is good and that He is good to us. Verse 5 also shows us about God's love. Specifically, it says this, the steadfast, or God's steadfast love endures forever. God's steadfast love is that His, His love, it never wavers. His loyal love is to His people. We also see that His love endures that His love does not fade over time like so much human endurance does. God never disappears. God never takes a holiday. He never stops His love. Praise to the Lord for His love and His steadfast covenant love, His steadfast loyalty. God's love, it's complemented by His faithfulness. The faithfulness of the Lord never ceases. His mercies, they never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. Yet we are like a wayward spouse who is constantly cheating on God with other things. Yet if we repent, God's faithful and His gracious love, it forgives our waywardness. He is even faithful when we are anything but faithful praise the lord for his faithfulness lastly we see from verse 4 and 5 that we must thank god for how he has shown us his attributes meaning what he has done how his attributes play out throughout time in scripture from genesis to revelation 
That because of God's goodness, because of His steadfast love, because of His faithfulness to all generations, that He made a promise to save us from sin. The promise which He made in Genesis 3.15, that He would send a Savior to bring us out of the enslavement to sin and death. And as time progressed, He continued to show His goodness, His love, His faithfulness, by making a covenant with Adam, with Noah, Abraham, Moses, and David, that He would be their God and that they would be His people, the sheep of His pasture. And that even though they were not faithful, He was. He continued to show His goodness by giving us signs and wonders, like the rainbow, showing us His wrath, but also at the same time that He is steadfast in keeping His promises. He gave us the law, which shows us not only how to live, but it shows us His holiness. It shows us His goodness and how we can never hope to live up to the law, but how the law continually points us back to our need of God's unending grace. He then fulfilled the covenant promise to send the Savior, not someone like us, someone that He created, but instead He sent Himself. He sent Jesus, the Son, to live a perfect life according to the law, never sinning, yet being tempted to sin like us. He lived a perfect life that we could never hope to possibly live. And instead of taking the reward Himself, He instead sacrificed Himself taking all of our sin upon Him on the cross, dying the death that we deserve, taking all of our punishment, and defeating death by raising Himself from the dead on the third day. Then sharing this victory over sin and death, this grace with all who will repent of their sin and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. Praise to the Lord for His grace. Praise to the Lord for His covenant faithfulness. Praise to the Lord for His marvelous works. This is what we must be thankful for. That He loved us before we could ever ever possibly love Him. For He is good even though we sin against Him. He sent a Savior for us even though we did not ask it from Him. He sent the Savior to die so that we did not have to spend eternity away from Him. Praise to the Lord Jesus, the Savior of sinners. This is what we must thank God for. His love, His actions, His faithfulness. The actions of His steadfastness. The actions of His goodness. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. Praise to the Lord, for He is my hope. And He is my salvation. This, this week, as, as you gather for Thanksgiving, for the holiday, I urge you to give thanks to the Lord, to proclaim His name. Give thanks that He is due. Give Him praise that He is owed. And sing to Him with a joyful noise. Proclaim Him. Worship Him. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Holy and Almighty God, I thank you.
for giving us your word. I thank you for all that you have done. I thank you for all who you are, Father. We praise you for your works. Father, please help us to understand, to grow in our knowledge of you, to share in our knowledge of you, to worship you, Father, to make a joyful noise unto you, all the earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, before we go into our time of celebrating the Lord's Supper, we are going to respond to what we've seen in Scripture this morning by worshiping the Lord with a joyful noise, by singing the song, Praise to the Lord, the Almighty. This song, it encapsulates the commands of the Psalm 100.